All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. chapter 16. It's been a blessing being here. And uh, Brother Kevin didn't tell the whole story. Okay. <laughs> I was living there and I moved out because my wife had cancer and I moved up to a place closer and that didn't work out so I moved back in. Okay, that's what happened. <laughs> I was just trying to take care of her and then uh, I remember coming back to Joel. Joel Dare was one of the first guys there. I showed back up and I said, hey, uh, it's not working out where I'm at. Can I stay with you guys? He said, I don't care. you got to ask the other guys. And they let me come back in. And um, Those are good friends. I just told them the other night, I said, it's such a, such a blessing coming up 10 years past the thing and to look back on it and, and, and realize that there's guys that stuck with it. <laughs> I've seen a lot of them that don't, and it's miserable. And to be able to come and spend some time with them has just been a real blessing. And the preacher here has just been a real blessing to me and my wife. And I appreciate you guys. You're a blessing to us. Uh, Luke chapter 16. And um, look at verse 1. The Bible says, He said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him. And said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig the bag I am ashamed. And I'd like to draw my title from the, near the end of that third verse there. I cannot dig. Let's open in prayer. Father, I ask you now to please bless this service, Lord. And Father, I pray, God, that the Word of God will have free course in here today. And God, I pray, Lord, I, I really pray this, Lord, that you'll get into the hearts of these folks, Lord, and give them something that means something to you and um, something that puts a smile on your face, Lord. And God, that it wouldn't be in vain, Lord. And God, that you'll fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill these folks with the Holy Spirit, Lord, please. We love you. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. <clears throat> I cannot dig. A lot of times when a preacher is coming up with a sermon, he can look back on his, uh, on his life and on past experience and he's uh, looking at a past occupation and he'll draw from that to put together a sermon. Uh, Dr. Ruckman's a great example. The, Dr. Ruckman was in the military and I think he probably preached some of the best sermons you've ever heard on being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ and he can make application. Uh, he would apply being a soldier to your, to your spiritual walk. Uh, I've heard fishermen preach on sermons on soul winning. Being a fisher of men, they, they can do a great job. They have all the illustrations and the, and the types down. Um, and you could probably do the same thing with farming or building or shepherding or any of that stuff. Now, I wasn't in the military. I like fishing, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a fisherman. But I remember one day I was reading my Bible and I came across this passage here about digging. And I said, hey, I know a little something about digging. <laughs> now, let me explain myself. When I was about 14, my dad moved us out to Tennessee, or from Tennessee to Colorado, excuse me. And uh, we lived out in the woods, and I didn't know anybody, so I did what any 14-year-old boy should do. I grabbed a shovel, and I went out and dug trenches so we could play paintball and airsoft and fight and battle and all that stuff. And those trenches are still there, and they're deep. I mean, I, I made them like World War II trenches, and my dad, I mean, it was just a couple months before he passed. He said, you need to get out there and fill those trenches in. And I said, Dad, I'm, gonna, I'm an adult now. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not filling them in now. <laughs> you should have had me do it before I left for school, man. 
Um, but I did that. I dug. I mean, I dug them. They're all over the place, man. I'm surprised no one's gotten hurt real bad or anything. But then when I was 17, I got my first real job. I worked for Colorado Natural Gas, putting in pipeline and digging ditches. <laughs> and I just had a shovel and I dug ditches. And then I did that for about two years. And then uh, <clears throat> I'm going down to PBI. I was 19 years old. I'm going down to PBI. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to put away childish things. And I got a job down there on the Navy base digging ditches, putting in telecom. And I did that for two more years in Pensacola. <laughs> and so when I came across this passage in Luke 16, I, I said, I know something about digging. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe there's a message in here somewhere. And um, what I'm really getting at today, and it'll be the theme of this message here, is I'm talking about laboring for the Lord, working for Him, uh, working for the Lord Jesus Christ putting some time in and laboring for him. And here in this passage, we've got a man who's supposed to be working for his master. And he ends up wasting his master's goods, and he's got to give an account to the master. And uh, you and I have some work we're supposed to be doing for the Lord. We owe him a great debt. And uh, he's going to ask you one day, give an account of your life, and uh, you're going to give an account to the master. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.2 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body. And you're going to stand before him one day and he's going to say, What would you do with all that good I gave you? What would you do with that King James Bible I gave you? You knew it was perfect when most of the world didn't. And he's going to ask you, What would you do with it? Did you do anything for him? And you got some work you're supposed to be doing. Here in Luke 16, we have a man and he's, he's going to lose his stewardship. When it comes down to taking care of what he owed, notice the wording. He says, I cannot dig. <laughs> he didn't want to do any manual labor. Notice he says at the end there, it always stood out to me, to beg, I'm ashamed. <laughs> He's saying, I'm not doing any hard common labor. I'd be ashamed to beg, but I can't dig. <laughs> That's quite a statement there. And uh, Christians, you owe the master, your master, a great debt. But most Christians refuse to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are all kinds of relationships between us and the Lord. He's our Father. We're His children. Uh, he's our Savior. We're the saved. He's the Redeemer. We're the redeemed. And we like those. <laughs> but there's another. I'm thankful for those relationships. But there's another relationship that Christians, they like to get around. <laughs> and He's the Master. And you're the servant. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's the boss. You're the employee. And you've been hired. The Lord's given you a job to do. And... He's the boss, and it doesn't have anything to do with you working your way to heaven. I don't think I need to explain that here, but it does have something to do with you laying up treasures in heaven, laying up some rewards in heaven. And uh, you know that working for the Lord's a big deal because the first time that Jesus Christ is recorded speaking in the flesh, he says, I must be about my father's business. <laughs> He's got his dad's business in mind. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. This is going to just be meat and potatoes today. Just real simple, practical stuff. 1 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> uh, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. A laborer. <laughs> That's a fellow working in a ditch. <laughs> That's the guy making minimum wage. That's just a normal guy down in a ditch. That's what a laborer is. He's not a, he's not a professional. He doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, man, we just need some guys that are willing to get down and do some concrete and to sweat. That's what the Lord's called you to do. And he's just looking for some men and women that are okay with doing a thankless job sometimes. 
And if you've spent any time in the ministry, any time at church at all, there's some thankless jobs. They're not thankless to the master. Notice who's working with you. Notice who your co-worker is. Laborers together with God. <laughs> That's a blessing. The Lord is working right alongside you. But the Lord's not looking for men to gain authority and get some high position. He's looking for laborers. Look at 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 1. Notice it's with Him again. We then as workers together with Him. You get to work with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're going to see a theme all through the New Testament. Paul's constantly talking to Christians about laboring and labors and workers and fellow workers. And the Lord's called you to do some work for Him. You know, the sad thing is, is just like this fellow in Luke 16, that he's this unfaithful steward in Philippians 3.2, it says, beware of evil workers. <laughs> you can be a bad employee. <laughs> That's what that guy was. He owed a great debt. He wasted his master's goods and then refused to dig. <laughs> I ain't digging. I'm not getting dirty. Now, I want to preach today on that thing right there, on working for the Lord, and I want to preach to you specifically why Christians say, I cannot dig. Now, first reason Christians will say, I cannot dig, is because they're lazy. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of a stereotype of preachers. I remember reading Dr. Ruckman talking about that. He's like, you've got to fight that stereotype <laughs> that pastors or preachers are lazy. And, but the simple reason and one of the main reasons why people quit labor jobs, I'm talking about real working, digging ditches jobs out there, is because they're lazy and because the work's too hard. <laughs> and uh, they'd rather be going home and playing Xbox or whatever, but they don't want to work. They don't want to be laboring. Um, I mentioned earlier about that job I had there digging those uh, the multiple jobs, digging ditches. And I remember I was working down there in the Florida heat. It's up around 100 degrees outside, 100% humidity. And I, I remember um, they hired crew after crew after crew, and they just couldn't get anyone to say except me. That's not because I was not character. I think I was just too, too stupid to leave. And I watched as 30 or more guys came and went over time. <laughs> And I just didn't know any better, and I just stayed and kept digging ditches and all that stuff. But they'd leave to go work at fast food because they were too, too lazy to stay in the dirt and to dig. It wasn't worth it to them. And <clears throat> what I know about construction, and it obviously will apply to a church and <clears throat> apply to the ministry, almost all construction starts with digging. If you're going to build a house, you've got to dig a foundation. If you're going to supply water to that house, you're going to dig a ditch, install pipes, you've got to dig. And uh, when it comes to the, to the work and the ministry and church, you need some men and women and some young men, some young women that are not afraid to work, who aren't afraid to put in some time and sweat and go street preach and pass out tracts and go soul win and go knock on doors. Some of the basic stuff, that's hard work and thankless. No one really appreciates it, except the big boss does. <laughs> the Lord appreciates it. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't pay well. <laughs> not here <laughs> and you won't see a lot of results from it but if you want to see some work get done it's going to start with some people who are willing to work and willing to put in some time and serving the lord sometimes it's a tedious job sometimes it's just daily work waking up and putting in some time just like a real job and you have to approach it like that sometimes that you're going to have to just endure it and put in some time and work When I think about a job like digging a ditch, and one of the reasons we had to dig on that um, Navy base, and you're thinking, why didn't you have a, 
a ditch witch or some kind of backhoe or something. It's because it was a real, it's an old base and they don't have anything marked and they can't figure out where anything is. So we had to grab a shovel and dig. And sometimes the boss would say, all right, you're starting right here. And you see way down there, that's about halfway there. And from there, just keep going. <laughs> and we did. And we just dig, man, and dig and dig. And when I think about that job of digging a, a ditch, I think about passing out tracks. <laughs> Just one shovel load at a time, <laughs> just one piece at a time, one rejection at a time, one crumpled up and thrown in your face at a time. And it's a thankless job and it's a tedious job, but the Lord appreciates it. Most of the time, you're not going to see some great fruit from it, but it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you ought to have them on you. You ought to be praying about where to put them. Just one track at a time, one shovel load at a time. Sometimes Bible readings like digging. <laughs> Over there in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about the, uh, the elders there that, what does it say, they labor in the word and doctrine you ever get over to numbers that's like digging a ditch man and you get down there and dig and you say lord am i really supposed to be reading this stuff and the lord says yeah put your head down sweat a little bit it's good for you i got something for you in this book maybe it's just for you to learn some character but it's good for you and you ought to labor in the thing keep reading and keep digging it'll build character sometimes praying can be like that over there in ephesians 6 it talks about having perseverance in prayer <clears throat> sometimes you're down there on your knees praying about something and you feel like you're not getting anywhere and the lord says stay down a little while pray about it for the next week or two weeks or a month or a year and put time in but most christians won't why they're too lazy <laughs> and they they can I, i've met men i i know preachers um, that are they're bible-believing good guys you, you look at them and you look at the the, the amount of work they put in in their job their secular job making all this money, and you watch them get in the pulpit, and they're lazy. I've seen it. You listen to them preach, and you go, you put way more time out there than you'd put into this. You've got to treat this way more important than that stuff out there. And the Lord's given you some things to do, and whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, you should do with your might. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here you got Paul's swan song here. He's wrapping up his life. And notice the theme of the whole book. He hits it over and over again. 2 Timothy 2, as he's, as he's about to die and he's telling his, uh, his preacher boy here about, about the ministry and about sticking with it. Look at 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. Look at chapter 3 verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Look at chapter 4 verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist now he's wrapping up and he's telling him timothy it's going to get rough you better endure i endured some things you're going to have to endure some things and what christians miss out a lot of times is they don't have they don't have good endurance i used to do some boxing i did it for about a year i really enjoyed it i loved it and i was in there with a bunch of guys and they were all middleweights and i'm a big guy so i'd get in there and I had to be careful. <laughs> I remember one time my coach stopped. He was just this little golden glove boxer from New York. And he said, everybody, come here. Tyler, come here. And he put his hand. He was a little guy. He put his hand on my shoulder. And he goes, everybody, listen up. Tyler is the best fighter in here for 60 seconds. <laughs> 
That's a backhanded compliment right there. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but I normally deal with them in about, he's, you shut your mouth, you get running, you know, I maybe shut up my mouth. <laughs> now, here's the thing, you know what he's saying? I had the power. I had the technique. I was actually pretty good at it. The key was that I didn't have the right endurance. Now, here we are, we're King James Bible believers. You got the power source, don't you? You got dispensation, you got the technique down. <laughs> And then we get tired. <laughs> and then we get worn down. And the Satan's never, uh, he's never changed his tactics. <laughs> he wears out the saints. He just wears you down and wears you down. And you're going to have to have some endurance in this thing. I remember uh, hearing a story of a missionary. And he was, uh, he was telling the story of, uh, of his salvation and getting saved. And it started with a guy knocking on a door. <laughs> And uh, they weren't even home at the time. This missionary, he grew up in a lost home. His whole family was lost. His dad was a drunk. And one day they get home and there's a track left in the door there. Somebody had come by on a Thursday, knocked on the door. They weren't home, left a gospel track, went on to the next house. Believe it or not, they took that track. They ended up visiting the church. The whole family gets saved. The dad ends up being called to be a pastor somewhere. Out of that ministry, that guy, get, the missionary gets called and goes out to the mission field. <laughs> track that thing back. <laughs> To some guy, being faithful on a Thursday night, digging, going out there and annoying people for about an hour of his time. Nobody wants to see you. We're not in the 50s anymore where you can do vacuum cleaning sales door to door. What are you doing in my house? Get out of here, man. And the guy's just putting in some time. And it pays off. I know it doesn't always pay off that way, but you'll reap what you sow. And if you'll put in some time, the Lord will bless that thing. Now listen, I'm about, I'll get to the next point here in a second, but just a side note, I mean, I've got to be honest, I've never had more fun in my life than some of the times I've been out digging and working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the best times of my life. I'm not talking about digging a ditch. That's not particularly fun, although, although I don't mind it. <laughs> I think it's because I'm not real smart. I love digging a ditch, man. I did it here. I did it two, a couple weeks ago with a church member, and they were calling me pastor the whole time. felt real weird. I'm just like digging. Hey, pastor, you need to, just let me dig. Let me alone, man. <laughs> I'm out there digging for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you some of the best times I've ever had in my life. I remember one time we talked about uh, Joel Dare. I was, he's, I'd say, I'm no offense, I love you guys. That guy's probably my best friend. I always say it's Katie, or it's the Lord, Katie, and then Joel Dare. Man, I love that guy. Then James and, James and Kevin are tied, though. <laughs> Guaranteed tied, 100%. <laughs> I got to get back to this. Joel and I went down to Pensacola Beach to pass out tracks one time, and we were excited. We're all prayed up. We're ready to go. Got a big old stack of tracks. And we hear, you boys, one of these number. And I look over. I said, I said they were big cows at a church one time, and they didn't appreciate it. So I'm not going to say that. These big old girls over here. <laughs> the church actually appreciated it. At the end, this fella came up and gave me a hard time. And I was like, you know, anyway. So I turned, and, I, and, uh, and Joel goes, they're all yours. And I said, all right. And I said, hey, come on, ladies. Let's talk about Jesus, man. I gave them gospel tracks and just, just enjoying it. I'll never forget there was a time I was uh, down at Pensacola there uh, across from uh, Rosie O'Grady's preaching. We were in the back of a pickup truck doing some street preaching on a Saturday night, and this guy walks up, and he's, uh, he starts talking to me, and I start witnessing to him. He said, what are you doing down here, man? I said, I'm preaching. Why don't you listen for a minute? He goes, all right. I start preaching. I give the gospel. I'm street preaching, but I'm aiming it at him. And I look over, and his eyes are glossed over. And there were guys walking up and down that street drunk, and their eyes were glossed over. Not him. He hadn't had a drop that night. He was crying. And I jump out of the truck, and I say, you want to do something about it? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Take him over to a park bench and lead him to the Lord. <laughs> Some of the best times of my life. 
I'll never forget over in Scotland, we're street preaching on a Tuesday, just middle of the day, me and another brother are street preaching, and I glance over and I see Katie's dealing with a girl over here. Her name was Maria, and I start street preaching. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the end from the beginning. That girl's saved now. She was an atheist. She was in her mid-20s, super smart in aerospace engineering, brilliant girl, and just a total atheist. And she said, she goes, I was talking with your wife, and I look over at you preaching and yelling, and I thought, that seems unreasonable. But she seems reasonable, so I'll listen, and she did. <laughs> and it took a few months, but that girl got saved right now. She's born again, and not only that, she's a soul winner. She's a faithful soul winner, a Bible reader, all stuff. Some of the best times of your life, but you got to put in the time. <laughs> and if you'll put in the time, you'll, you'll reap what you'll I know most Christians won't, but most Christians won't because they're lazy. Now, secondly, Christians say, I cannot dig because they don't want to get dirty. Now, I had to go to the Greek for that one. I know that's hard to believe there. <laughs> they don't want to get dirty. <laughs> now, I don't know, but I'm the type, I can't, <laughs> if I get in the dirt, I'm just as filthy as a dog, man. I just can't help it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just about, my dad will dig, and, or used to dig, amen, he's in heaven now, but when he used to dig, he'd get out and wipe off the side of his boot. That's the only thing that was dirty. I'm like, you didn't do it right, man. Something's off. I mean, I just kind of get in a rhythm, man. I'm throwing it at myself, and I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't care. It doesn't bother me. I remember I used to work down there for that company in Pensacola on the Navy base, and uh, we used to supply telecom to these big old colonels and generals' homes, and they were just real beautiful places. And half of our job is the hard part. For, you know, from over there to about halfway here, it is digging, and, and, and you feel like you're in a chain gang, and it's just, it's awful. You feel, you know, it's, it's horrible, and sweating and dirty. But the other half was you got to go inside, and you got to uh, put in the telecom, install all the stuff, and, and, and it's awesome. And I remember more than one time, we'd finish the job, we get up to this point, we're just dirty as a couple swine, man. We come walking up to the door, we knock on the door to get in, and we're going to get into the air conditioning, man. It's like heaven starts at this part, you know. And you knock on the door, and the guy, the guard would open and say, you guys can't come in here. You're filthy. <laughs> and we were <laughs> covered in, I mean, just imagine sweating and then throwing sand on it. That's what we look like. <laughs> and, uh, and they'd say, no, you can't come in. And then we'd look back, and here come the technicians. You know, they're making twice as, us, twice as much as us and working half as much. And they pull up and they're like, oh, it's really hot out here, guys. We just hit them and throw them in the trench. You know, we hated them. And those guys would go in. <laughs> well, most Christians, they won't street preach and they won't knock on doors and they won't make a fool of themselves because they'll look dirty to this world. And um, the more time you spend in that thing, the more you'll get it. I said it the other night. Our church in Colorado, just a little church. We street preach every other weekend. We're not overly aggressive. We just hold signs and wave. My wife waves. I don't wave, but she waves and stuff. And we're that church. Oh, you go to that church. Yeah, we do. <laughs> That's okay that you can, you should stink to the world. They shouldn't let you in. <laughs> you shouldn't fit in with that stuff. You ought to stand against that thing. Now, um, the Bible makes it real clear, real clear. Actually, we'll look at the verse. Look at 2 Corinthians 2. You ought to put some time out working for the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter that the world doesn't like it. You're supposed to be standing in opposition to them and <laughs> offense against it. It's the offense of the cross is what it is. I was preaching recently, and I knew there were some lost folks there, at least one fellow that was at our church lost, and I said, you know what the offense of the cross is, right? I said, your sin is so wicked and so vile that an innocent man had to be tortured to death to save you. That's offensive. They step back from that, and they go, man, that's, that's dark. <laughs> that's dirty. Yeah, that's sin. <laughs> and what they accept, I remember Dr. Ruckman saying it, that the measure of society is the tolerance of sin. They think they're more progressive by tolerating more and the more you stick with that book and stay away from that stuff, you'll stink to them. 
but you'll smell good to the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, look at verse uh, 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that are saved, and in them that perish, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now you're serving the Lord, and that thing smells good to him. I actually have a sermon I've preached uh, called God's Five Senses, and I talk about that sense of smell, where that, he sits there and the, the, the sweet-smelling savor of a sacrifice goes up to him. <laughs> and listen, if this world doesn't want anything to do with you, and you have to, you, they won't let you in, that's a sacrifice well-pleasing the Lord, and it smells good to him. And this world hates street preaching, but it pleases God, and that should be enough. <laughs> It should be enough that the God of the universe, put it, he smiles. It doesn't matter that they flip you off. Good. You're in New York. It's par for the course here, man. Keep it up. The world's listening to that roaring preaching. They hate it. It smells good to the Father. Most Christians won't do it. They don't want to get dirty. And I know that's why some of you won't do it. I know it's a street preaching church, but I'm sure not everyone street preaches. You know I know? Not everybody in my church street preaches. And I know why they don't. Because they own a business in town. <laughs> they don't want the bad smell on them. <laughs> They're too dirty. <laughs> I don't want any part of that thing. Well, you can either look like an idiot to the world or look like a quitter to the Lord. Simple as that. <laughs> you can look good in their eyes and look terrible in his. And you get to choose. Look at Second Thessalonians 2. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 4. I'm First Thessalonians, excuse me. First Thessalonians 2 4. I love this verse. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. And you're trying to please Him. Luke 6.26 says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. <laughs> you know what that means? You should have some good enemies. <laughs> if you're doing right, somebody's going to stand against it. <laughs> the Bible says Satan's the god of this world, man. If he's going to fill somebody like Peter, I'm sure he's filling other people around you. And something in your life ought to stink to them. It ought to stand out that you're a Bible-believing Christian and that you want to please him and not please man. Why do you care so much about what the world thinks about you? Does it mean, Morty, that the king of the universe is pleased with your life? Look at Hebrews 13. I know some of this is, you guys are on the same team. I can hear it. I can feel it. <laughs> It's like I'm only preaching against one or two of you. I get, I get it. Sometimes when you start preaching on the right stuff, people, are, hey, we're with you, brother. Take it easy. I can't remember how many times Brother Don would get up and be like, I know you guys don't like this. And I'm like, I love it, man. What are you talking about, man? We're, we're with you. Hebrews 13, look at verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach outside not inside. Those guys wouldn't let us in. You need to get out. You need to get without, get without the camp. Over there in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it is, Paul gives a list. He lists everything that he's been through. Some of you guys that know your Bible will know exactly what I'm talking about. And he, start, he sits there and he starts talking about how much they've been beaten, the shipwrecks they've been in, being robbed, all the pain and, and whipped and all that stuff. And you and I can't go through any of that except two. You know what they are? laboring and reproaches and that's it in America we don't have to deal with that other stuff but the Lord's called you to get at least those two going on are you working for them 
And is that work causing some kind of reproach to come towards you? And I, I don't, maybe I don't even need to say this. I'll, I'll just throw it out quickly. I'm not telling you to go be an idiot. <laughs> I'm not telling you to go out there and <laughs> stand in, inside Walmart holding a gospel sign and yelling. That's not what I'm saying. You can use some common sense, but just a simple thing as standing on a street corner and holding up a Bible, <laughs> that'll throw some people off just that right there, let alone raising your voice and preaching to them. And you ought to be doing that stuff, knocking on doors, witnessing to coworkers, <laughs> even whenever they say, I don't want to hear it. Well, pray about it. Give it to them. My father-in-law, who I'm not a big fan of, I was being real honest. He won't hear it. Don't worry about it. My father-in-law, some of you know him. You'll understand what I said. You know how my, my, uh, my mother-in-law was a lost Jewish woman down in, uh, well, it's, uh, south of here, but he's in New York. And uh, lost Jewish woman, he was the first man to ever give her the gospel, ever quote a scripture to her. Lost Jewish woman, he just walked up and told her a Bible verse. <laughs> and because he opened his mouth in the workplace, she saved now my wife's saved. Now her sister's saved, and she's a missionary. Now we got kids. You see all that stuff? Why? Because some guy was, it was, he was okay with looking like an idiot. <laughs> you ought to be as well. You ought to be okay. And man, man, you got to write that one down. I think it's the first time I ever used your father-in-law as a good illustration there. Praise him. <laughs> my wife's sitting there like, Tyler, stop it, man. <laughs> you guys don't know him. You got to have to just take my word for it here. But. <laughs> You know what I remember? I remember digging those ditches, and I remember, I'm getting comfortable. That's the problem now. I can feel it. I need to tighten back up. <laughs> I remember I was working for that company there, and the big boss would show up. Man, he would cuss out those technicians, you know, the lazy bums I mentioned. He'd come and just cuss those guys. He'd come over to us digging the ditch, and he'd lean down. You guys need anything? I'm going to buy your lunch today. He always had cold water for us every single time. That guy's making way more money than us, but he appreciated the guy down there, and he would refresh the guy down in the ditch. And if you spend any time serving the Lord Jesus Christ... <laughs> You know there are some times he showed up, and he refreshed you, and he took care of you. I'll never forget there was a time I'd been struggling with something pretty hard, going through some things, and finally got the thing worked out between me and the Lord, and I'm sitting there pumping gas at the gas station, and I glance across, and there's a fellow over there, and you know how the Lord does. He goes, that one, give him a track, and I'm like, all right. So I walk over, and I have a bad habit. I go, hey, man, let me give you something to read. I might lower my voice and try to stand taller. I'm like, he's this little skinny guy, you know. You know, it's that stupid mental thing. Hey, man, let me give you something to read. And he goes, hey, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. And I was like, that's weird. Okay, good. Praise the Lord, man. And I said, well, give it a read. It's, it's, it'll help you. I drive down to the Walmart just down the road. I see that guy. And I said, hey, gas station guy. <laughs> and I start witnessing to him. And right next to the bike section of Walmart, I get to lead that guy to the Lord right there. <laughs> I've been going through something, and the big boss showed up, <laughs> and he refreshed me and took care of me. I'm real thankful for that. Now, guys, let me put it like this. Don't you know that there are some harder jobs out there than digging ditches? Don't you know? There, I mean, I'm talking in the real world. There's a lot worse jobs. Maybe sewage. <laughs> I'll dig a ditch all day, man, not to mess with sewage, man. I don't want to get close to it. You know that's a lot worse, right? I remember I, there's a fellow I know there, and he, he told a story there about, um, about having to clean out a sewage basin. I don't know why he told the story, but I'm going to tell it to you now. And he says, uh, he said there were three guys, and they have to climb down into this hand hole, you know, the Ninja Turtle thing, and he climbs down in there. I don't watch that stuff. He climbs down that thing. <laughs> he climbs down that thing, and that, that, the sewage is up to here. They're wearing fishing waders up to here. I mean, it's getting close, man. They're having to duck down and stuff. And there were three of them, and the biggest guy said, nope, you guys head down. I'll, I'll lower the bucket. <laughs> and so they start getting that sewage and all that stuff. And he said he lift the flashlight up and all around are cockroaches all the way around them. <laughs> I'm sorry, ladies. It's a good illustration, though. So anyway, they're filling. So the guy lowers the bucket down like this, and they fill that thing up. All right, <coughs> take it up. 
And the guy up top must have been a gorilla just trying to get the job done. He goes, and that bucket goes like this. And they're leaning back as far as they can. Their fishing waders are wide open. And it just fills them up. Now, listen, I give you that illustration. That's a lot worse than digging a ditch, man. I don't care where it is, man. Pensacola, Afghanistan, I'll, I'll dig a ditch anywhere compared to have to deal with that mess. That's a lot worse job, and I'll bring it back and make it serious. Now, don't you know that throughout church history, there's some folks that have had a lot harder job than you and I have had? <laughs> and the Lord just called you to dig. <laughs> I don't know about you. It didn't even cross my mind that someone could bust through these doors and come kill my family here. They could take us out for worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll do it in China. <laughs> there's other countries where it's happening. Right now, it's still happening. And the Lord's given you a much easier job, and they've had a lot harder. Back there in the 1980s, there was a woman in Russia named Irina. Some of you will know her, or at least know of her. She was imprisoned at 29 years old for seven years in the gulag for writing Christian literature. The official statement against her was this. She was producing material that uh, that damaged communist ideas. So she was sentenced to seven years hard labor. You know that that means the Lord Jesus Christ had to come up and say, Honey, I got some hard work for you to do for me. I got a hard job, but you're the one for the job. I got some labor for you to do. She's in that prison there, and those guards, they'd take their Bibles, so she and her inmates would go on hunger strikes till they got their Bibles back. Some of you probably didn't pick it up this week. And she put down her food, said, I'll die before I give up my Bible. And they beat her, and her hair was falling out, her skin was getting loose, and she wrote this, There are days and weeks when you can't stand up because of hunger. And she's just in there working for the Lord. A lot harder job than you and I got. They took away any material she had so she couldn't write anything. And she said, Well, they can't confiscate my brain. So she would inscribe poems on bars of soap and then uh, commit it to memory and send it down the drain. And one of the, here's one of those poems right here. Now listen to the wording. In solitary cells on winter nights, a sudden sense of joy and warmth and a resounding note of love, and then unsleeping, I would know a huddle by an icy wall. Someone is thinking of me now, petitioning the Lord for me. You ever have that feeling you go, somebody's praying for me right now. I bet it was real strong there. Huddle in an icy cell, and she goes, somebody's talking to God about me, my voice. My my name's getting lifted up by somebody's voice right now. Now, folks, that's a lot harder job than you and I got. Most Christians won't do it. Why? Too dirty (laughs) or too lazy. Richard Warmbrandt's over there in those prison camps, and he talked about the death diet, just a dirty bowl of water, a dirty bowl of water with a single bean a day, maybe half a piece of bread, something like that. And he had the thought to himself. He wasn't dispensational, you know. He had a thought of, what? i got to be able to tithe in here, (laughs) and I don't have any money. So every tenth day he'd give up one of his meals, now, you and I, we're sitting there, oh, tithing's not New Testament, that's, that's Old Testament. <laughs> He's a lot closer to the Lord than you and I are. <laughs> now, what job do you have? Passing out some tracts? Sunday school? Witnessing to a co-worker? Showing up at church? Is it really that hard a job? <laughs> and I know it isn't. And the Lord blesses you on top of it. So why won't you get to work for the Lord today? Why won't you consider that today? The Lord's put you in the cushiest time in church history. And while we're in Laodicea, won't you try to act like a Philadelphian Christian? And lastly, Christians say, I cannot dig because they want to be the boss. 
I told you earlier about the big boss I worked for. That big boss's name was Billy Diggs. <laughs> he, di he didn't. <laughs> and I remember we would go and uh, we'd, we'd go with Billy Diggs to meet a new foreman there, and he'd introduce himself, and he'd go, Billy Diggs. And in unison, we'd all go, no, he doesn't. Because <laughs> he was the big boss, man. It was all right. He was making a lot of money. He, he, we didn't have a problem with that. He didn't have to get in there. But the problem is when it comes down to a Christian's life, you're not supposed to be the boss. The Lord's supposed to be the boss. And when the Lord puts something on you and says, I've got some work for you to do, I need you to go to the mission field. I need you to go to Bible school. <laughs> I need you to go across the street and witness to somebody. You're supposed to yield to the master's will and obey because he's the boss. But Christians want to be the boss, and they don't want to dig. And they think you'd be better off suited for another job. You're not. <laughs> you're suited up to be a laborer. But Christians turn and run like Jonah. <laughs> the Lord has a job for him. It's a labor job. It's hard work. And Jonah decides to run his own life. I heard an old preacher say, if you decide to run your life, you'll ruin it. And that's what he does. Excuse me. Jonah has a rough end. <laughs> and he has a half-ruined life because he went his own way. <laughs> what about the prodigal son? He's working there for his dad and finally says, I'm sick of this work. <laughs> I'm sick of all this stuff. I'm out of here. <laughs> I know the end he comes home, but you ever think about how that thing ends? You ever think about what it costs the prodigal son? He wastes his inheritance, and at the end of the story, I know that elder brother's got some bitterness there. You can preach all the sermons you want against the elder son, but you better keep in mind that Jesus, or the, the father looks at him and says, all that I have is thine. <laughs> and even though he's got some problems there, he stayed and worked, and he receives the inheritance for it. Not the prodigal, he misses out. Why? He wanted to be the boss. <laughs> I remember hearing Dr. Ruckman tell a story one time, telling a story about going down. He was crossed the tracks there, and he's passing out tracks in a rough part of town. He runs across a fellow, and he starts talking to that guy, and that guy's born again. That guy's in Bible school. He's doing all this stuff. He's called to preach, and everything sounds good. And as Doc dealt with the guy, the fellow goes, well, it took me a long time to get to this place. He said, I had, a, I had three daughters and a wife, and the Lord called me to it, and I said, no. He took my wife. And he said, you're going to preach now? And I said, no. And he took a daughter. And with one daughter left, he said, I finally surrendered. Now listen, I know that's an extreme. That doesn't normally happen. I know God's right, though. And I know as, as, as rough of an illustration or even a, a, a real story as that is, the, the boss shows up sometimes. And he calls you and says, you're wasting your life. Come on, Jonah. Come on, prodigal son. You've got to do something with your life. I remember Brother Donovan preaching one time and telling an illustration, a story, a true story of a preacher, a young man who was a good preacher. And the Lord had called him. He had a lot of talent, and he just put the call off, got into a work schedule, got into a career, put it off a little more, started missing church, got a family, got kids, and pretty soon he's out doing his own thing. And years later, he gets a phone call, and the guy's between puking. He says, you've got to get over here quick. Brother Donovan goes and visits the guy, and the guy's been over a bucket, puking up his guts. He's riddled with cancer. And between throwing up, he says, you go tell them boys not to waste their life like I did. That guy lived another month, and he died. You know, I was up in Michigan preaching, and I gave that same illustration about a guy who was called to preach, got cancer, and died. I get to back to my hotel room, and the hotel room thing called, you know, there's a phone there, and I answer it. And the guy's weeping on the line. He goes, brother, I was at the service tonight. 
I have the same testimony as that guy. God called me to preach 10, 15 years ago, and I said no, and I'm dying of cancer. They gave me six months. What do I do? <laughs> and I'm sitting on the other line going. <laughs> so I try to encourage him. I told him, I said, well, brother, there's that story that Jesus tells about the guy who works the last hour of his life and gets paid for the full day. You ought to get to the master and start working while you can. Now, listen, you know what's a blessing about that? He called me about six months later. Cancer was gone. He was doing right, trying to serve the Lord. It doesn't always happen, though. <laughs> Sometimes they get way out there. I bet you there's far more prodigal stories that end with the prodigal dying in the far country, <laughs> wasting their life. He's got work for you to do. One of these days, the Lord's going to look at you. He's going to call you forward, and he'll say exactly what this guy said. He'll say, give an account of thy stewardship. And he's got work for you. He's got work just for you, specifically for you. He's got Bible reading for you. He wants you to dig into He's got some prayers that he wants to answer, but you've got to put some time in. There's some folks that are only in your sphere of influence that no one else can reach. There are some sweet rewards at the end of a long day's work, but you've got to put in the time. I know it's just corny, but I like it. Working for the Lord can be a hard, sweaty job, but the retirement is out of this world. <laughs> I like that. Turn to 1 Timothy, and I'll, I'll close here in just a second. 1 Timothy 1. Everybody all right? 1 Timothy 1. In conclusion, what's the one thing we all want to hear? Well done, thou good and successful. Anybody catch it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not based on the success of man looking at numbers or seeing how big a church gets or how many notches you have on your belt of people you led to Christ or any of that stuff. 1 Timothy 1.12 And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. And the Lord's looking for some faithful workers. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness but a faithful man who can find. <laughs> you know Noah wasn't a success in the world's eyes. He only has eight converts. <laughs> and when he stands before God God will say well done Noah you did what I told you to do. Jeremiah only has two converts in his whole ministry. But if, if Jeremiah stands before God and is tempted to say, Lord, all I got is two, he'd say, shut up, Jeremiah. You did what I told you to do. Yeah. And the same will go for you. You know, I, I read a verse uh, just this morning, Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. In the New Testament, going to heaven is called sleep. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. So if you'll labor... You'll have some sweet rewards. Now, what are you going to say when he tells you to give an account? Will he say, well done? Or like I said the other night, will he say, well, you made it? <laughs> Noah, his job was to preach, and the Lord gave him some converts. He just was doing what he was supposed to do. Jeremiah, the same, just doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And the Lord has work for you to do, not for me. <laughs> He's got work for you to do, not your preacher, not anybody else in here. He's got work that's specifically for you. And listen, I, I know you guys. You guys aren't Calvinists. <laughs> if the Lord's called you to go win a soul and you miss out, they'll pro they, there's a good chance they'll die and go to hell. There, there might not be another guy who comes along and, and leads them to Christ. The Lord puts that stuff on you. My dad, before he was a preacher, 
before he was uh, upgraded to heaven and all that, he was a police officer for a long time, and he was the accident reconstructionist. That's just a fancy way of saying if there was a real horrible wreck, he was the guy who had to go and trace it out and do all the math and figure out how it happened. And one night there was a fella, he was running from the police. It was real, real, real early in the morning, four or five in the morning. They're flying across there. And here comes another fella driving up this way, going to his job. He worked at McDonald's just up the road. He's just driving along. Well, that police officer got a little too excited, and he accidentally tipped the back of the other guy, and he flies across the, the middle lane and head-on hits that other guy. Those cars just crash and meld together. The police officer pulls up looking at the thing like, what do I do? Well, the guy running from the cop died immediately, but the innocent guy is sitting in that car, and he's stuck. He can't get out, and he's, he's awake, and the car sets on fire, <laughs> and that police officer's there, and he's trying to figure out how to save him. He's trying to figure it's all, It was all on uh, uh, the police footage and everything. They didn't have body cam back then. They just had the car cam, and you can see it. See the guy in there trying to get out and screaming and all that stuff, and as that guy's trying to figure out how to break that window and get that guy out, another police officer pulled up and said, whoa, 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 job. Wait for the fire department. <laughs> You feel that? <laughs> you all know that, that that day was his job. <laughs> that guy stepped back, and they watched him burn up. <laughs> it wasn't the fire department. Man, that, they should have used their cars to push it apart, break the something, man. Guys, it's your job. The Lord's called you to something. And it's not your preacher's job. There's people that are going to hell. That, that same gasp you just gave, would you give it for somebody dying and going to hell? <laughs> Put that thing in the back of your mind and don't think about it. There are people that are plunging out in there, going that way. We can all agree it was his job that day. It's your job today. The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man in type of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. <laughs> can the Lord count on you? They say nowadays, they say it's just it's amazing if employees show up. <laughs> Will you show up? <laughs> Will you show up and work for the Lord? What job does the Lord have for you? And it might not be glamorous. Maybe it's a thankless job. But in the end, the Lord's going to bless you if you'll just keep digging. Amen. Preacher, I'm done.